Well, hey, I want to welcome all our campuses today, and that video is a great reminder, isn't it, that your words, words, can change the trajectory of a life, can become a ripple effect throughout humanity, so much more than just words. And that was true for me. You know, uh, my life radically changed for the better because of a few words spoken by a friend of mine, John Rambo. It's his real name. Not the John Rambo Sylvester Stallone of the First Blood movie. Not that one. Though he was just about as crazy. So this is, this is back in my BC days, my before Christ days. John Rambo and I partied together and we did crazy things. In fact, I remember one night uh, we're, we're driving around and Rambo says, uh, hey, I, I want to check on a movie. And so he has us drive up to a movie theater and he gets out. And he runs in, and next thing I know, he's running out with a life-size stand-up cardboard of this. <laughs> says John Rambo on it. He throws it in the backseat of the car and says, drive! I was against it, okay, but I was a forced accomplice. I was not the driver. And uh, that stand-up cardboard cutout stood in John's room ever after. <laughs> so John and I had some crazy days together. So when John said these words to me, hey, John. Want to go to a small group Bible study at my house? I said, no. I wasn't interested. See, I, I had already judged religion as, as completely disconnected from life, you know, stained glass into obscurity, you know, maybe myth at best. And so, no, I didn't have any interest. But I knew John had come to faith. And, you know, those words, though, wouldn't leave me. John, you want to come to this Bible study? You know, those words and then some other words that I had recently read haunted my soul. They, they kept stirring around in my soul. See, because right before John said those words to me, um, someone, I don't even know who, gave my dad a book. My dad was dying of cancer. I gave him the very first book uh, on, on this research uh, that I ended up 30 years later writing about. You know, this uh, university professor at the University of Virginia was teaching a philosophy class on death and dying and kept having students come up semester after semester saying, I died. I clinically died and was resuscitated. And they talk about seeing God and Jesus and how real the afterlife is. And he put it into research and someone gave that book to my dad. I saw it, picked it up and read it. And those words combined with John's words, became like little grains of sand in the oyster shell of my soul. They irritated me, but in a good way, because God used it to form the greatest pearl of my life. That was the pivot point of my life. John's words and the words of those books are what ultimately led me to faith. I started going to that small group. I got my skeptical engineering questions answered in that small group, that whole pivot point changed my life. It's why I married my wife, Kathy, because she, she wouldn't have touched me with a 200-foot pole <laughs> before that. It's, it's why we have had a life together for 30 years of love and joy, even through the highs and lows of adventure. It, it's why our, our kids love God today. It's why they love each other, and we have great relationships you know, it, it's, it's why we started this church. It's why I've written books. It, it's why I've traveled around the world talking to people about what I discovered. But better than all of that is what I discovered. 
the love of Jesus, how real he is, like a best friend, you know, like what he claimed to be, the God revealed in a form we can relate to. And, and since then, I have had so many uh, stories in my own life of knowing him in a personal way. I mean, so many I couldn't, I don't have time enough, and you don't want to sit there that long hearing. But that has changed my life for the better, and I'm so grateful. And I stop and think, what if that person that I don't even know had been afraid to give my dad that book when he was dying? Or what if John had been fearful of my reaction? Because my reaction was not good, but he kept on. Where would my life be today? I, I don't know. I hope God would have sent others. But he used John, and he used this person I don't even know to change my life. You know, I'm so grateful that John loved me more than he loved himself. Because it truly changed my life. Words can change a life. I'm evidence of it. You probably are too. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How God can take your words and use it as more than words. And just stop and think about what, what are words, right? What are words? These intangible symbols, right? They're, they're ideas in the mind, get strung together in sentences. You know, they can, they can be translated into sound waves through our voice and then decoded in the ear of a listener into an electro... Uh, uh, you know, electromagnetic radiation going into your brain that then forms ideas. But is that all words are? Because these simple words, these ideas truly can change a life, can change a trajectory. And that's what I want you to consider today. Your words have spiritual power to change a life. Do you realize that? You know, it can be so much more than words when God, God is involved. Your words have spiritual power when they are spiritually led by God. Now, maybe you hear that and they say, not me. You know, God couldn't ever use my words. I barely believe in God. I know nothing about God. But I just want to remind you, that was John Rambo. He barely believed in God. He didn't know much about God. But what he knew, he used to invite me and God used his words. Don't ever believe that God can't use you in the life of another person. God can use your words if you're willing to respond to his spirit. You know, and that's why from now until May, okay, of this year, we are joining with about 150 or more churches and organizations to start a citywide conversation about what's after life. And I'm praying it changes thousands of lives just like it changed mine. So January 5th, we gave you a little sneak peek um, into the What's After Life message and series we're going to do in the future. We gave you this book. If you didn't get one, you can get one today. And we ask you to read it so you'll know what's in it. You'll know the message and then give it away to someone that, that you think, you know, may not know how real God is or how much God loves them. And... Uh, you know, I've been doing this, and it's been awesome. I mean, like my soccer buddies, what, what I typically say is, hey, check this out. Scientific evidence that there really is life beyond this life, and it's awesome. You know, it, it, it'll only take you 90 minutes. Read it. Tell me what you think. You know, sometimes I say, just start reading it. You won't be able to stop. And, and, and that's true. That's not just my opinion. Look at this. Uh, a woman who just got baptized uh, down at Gateway South gave 
one of the books, January 5th, gave it to one of her coworkers, and here's what he wrote back. Take a look. It says, the book you gave me has become the scientific evidence for my belief. My daughter, my son, my wife loves it. Thanks a lot, Christina. Thanks again. None stop reading. How awesome. See, it's simple. Give a gift, pray for that person, and then follow up with conversation and watch what God does through you. And while you're doing that, 1.2 million people all across Austin are going to be seeing uh, videos more and more. We've created about 25 videos of stories from the people in the book, What's After Life. So this is what they're going to be seeing, videos like this. Watch. Everything in my body started shutting down. According to the medical records, it was an hour and 45 minutes that I was not breathing or heart beating during that time frame. I knew that I had been underwater already too long to still be alive. The people who resuscitated me would say I was underwater 30 minutes. They would say that I was dead. The nine wheels of the driver's side of the truck just rolled over the car. So I was just really killed instantly, blunt force trauma. They pronounced me dead on the scene. So how do we know these people were truly dead? Doctors, cardiologists, uh, oncologists have actually been able to look at medical records to show, yeah, these people were truly dead by all the ways that we would clinically talk about death. As to how long I was clinically dead without brain function or heart function, at least 30 minutes. Because of not having oxygen to my brain that long, I should not be able to function like I'm functioning because it didn't have any brain wave at that time. That fact that the near-death experiences are occurring during that time that consciousness should be a blank slate is medically inexplicable. It should be impossible for them to be remembering anything. You may say I didn't go to heaven, but you can't say I didn't die. Isn't that cool? So Scott Rice, who teaches film at the University of Texas with Matthew McConaughey, has been in our church for about 15 years now, and they are producing these videos. They've produced about 25 of them that you can share out on social media. These are going to be going out all over the city. Imagine the conversations that you're going to be able to have that are, that are going to be started so that people can see how much God cares about them. And that's going to be happening all the way up until Easter. And that at Easter, we're going to do a seven-week series on this topic. I'm going to be bringing in many of these people live, different people each week, different ones than what I had in Imagine Heaven if you were here during that series. And, uh, and we're going to tie it to the Bible. We're going to show people how it's amazing how this fits with what God's been saying for thousands of years. Now, you know, I was, I was down at, uh, at Gateway Buda a couple weeks ago, and a guy came up to me and asked me an important question. He had read What's After Life, and then he asked me an important theological question that's not answered in that book. And, and if that's you, I pointed him to Imagine Heaven, which has more of the biblical support and understanding of these experiences. So if you have questions like that, um, I would encourage you to go there. But here's what I want us to start today. If you haven't given that book away yet, let's start today. All right? And again, it's not about the book, all right? Um, it's about Jesus in the book. It's about the one who they'll start to see because this is scientific evidence that he's real. So I want to give you the 1111 challenge, all right? Take one book at least today and give one book by 1 1. 
Okay, February 11th. February 1-1 is Tuesday. So let's all, let's all just say, okay, Tuesday, I'm going to take a book, read it. I'm going to take 90 minutes. That's all it takes to read it if I haven't and give it to someone on Tuesday and just watch what God starts to do. Now, what would hold us back from this? Well, probably if you are afraid of seeming pushy or fanatical, right? But that's not what this is about. This is simply giving a gift. It's doing this. It says in 1 Peter 3, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. It's just giving a gift. And it's then having a conversation with gentleness and respect. Jesus modeled this for us. Um, you know, Jesus goes around. If you look at his encounters with people, he didn't go around trying to force people to change behavior. There's only one time that he did that. That was when uh, there was religious abuse in the temple. That's the only time he did. Instead, what he went around doing is trying to reconnect people to the source of life and love. So let's look at an encounter in John chapter 4 when Jesus does this. He and his disciples are going through Samaria when they stop at a well at noon. It's the heat of the day. It says in John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. All right, so it's important to understand, Samaritans were the despised in that society, especially among the religious elite of that day. They had interracial marriage, they had religious views that the, the Jewish Pharisees didn't agree with, they had immoral behavior of the past, and, and the Pharisees judged them for that. They wouldn't talk, walk, associate, eat with a Samaritan, and not a woman either, and yet here's Jesus initiating a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And this is going to be one of those life-altering conversations. So Jesus' disciples go into the city to buy food. Jesus meets this woman. And the first thing we see is Jesus crosses divides to dignify people. We need to do the same. See, she feels valued by him. That's why she responds this way. He's talking to me, a Samaritan woman. She was actually despised by the people in that town even. It's why she had to go in the heat of the day to draw water rather than when most women went in the cool of the day. She was despised, yet here he's talking with me. He's treating me with dignity. And we need to ask ourselves, do we cross divides to dignify people? You know, do we value? Do we encourage people forward? Do we cross racial or socioeconomic or gender or lifestyle or you know, behavioral boundary lines to do what Jesus did to value and dignify people. The way we can do this is starting to see what Jesus sees in other people. Because Jesus sees the potential. He sees what people can become, do we? You know, think about Peter, all right? His, his name was Simon originally. Jesus sees Simon. And, and Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I see in you a rock. I, you're going to do great things for me, Simon. And, and Petros, or is, is the Greek for Peter, means the rock. So Jesus literally renamed Simon the rock. And, and Simon did become the rock. He went on to do great things. You know, pro wrestler, made a lot of cheesy movies. 
as a different rock. He did become the rock. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, right? And, and, and Peter did go on to do great things. But you know what? Jesus saw that in him before he did a lot of stupid things too, like deny Jesus three times, right? Jesus says the same to a Roman centurion, raised in idol-worshiping Rome, and yet trusted Jesus' authority to heal. And Jesus looks at him and says, I have not found such great faith in anyone in Israel. Wow, that's encouraging, right? What's he doing? He's encouraging them forward. That's what he's doing with the Samaritan woman. He sees great things in her, not yet there, dignifies and values her. And if we can do the same, God will take your words and make them so much more than words. So pray. Pray, God, give me your heart. Show me what you see in the people around me. And and let me call out the masterpiece under the mud. Let me speak life into them in that way. And initiate conversations like that and watch how God uses your words. So how can you ask me for a drink, she asked Jesus. And he says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And see, this is God's heart for everyone. God is a gift giver. God wants to give good things to everybody. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, self-control. These are, are gifts that God wants to give everyone. But people get hurt by evil. And then evil uses that hurt to lie about God and, and say it's God's fault and run from God. And, and, and people believe it. And yet, God wants to help and heal. And this is why I'm asking you first to pray for people before you give them a book. Or give them a book and then pray for them. But pray for them. Pray that, that the lies that evil has put across their spiritual eyes and spiritual ears will be broken. So they can see how real God is and how much he loves them and how he wants to give them good things. Prayer really does do something, friends. I mean, God responds when we care enough about each other to pray for each other. You know, when uh, Gateway South was moving into their new building, they had a a dedication. They dedicated their new facility to God, and and they gathered in there. And one of the things they did is they, they prayed for people that they were praying for would maybe come one day to that building and learn about God and come to faith in God. And they, they had people write the names of people they were praying for on the wall. And then Eric uh, Bryant, the South Campus pastor, took a picture of it, you know, before it got painted over. Well, Trevi, uh, Eric and, and Deborah's daughter, the middle schooler at the time, uh, wrote the names of her friend and, and their family, uh, Chloe, and, and her family on the wall. And she was praying that they would come to faith in that place. Four years later, Chloe's mom, Sunshine, and her boyfriend are getting baptized for faith in Jesus. That's them over on the right by Eric. And Eric takes out his phone, and he explains that Trevi, my middle school daughter, had prayed for you and shows this picture, this next picture, on the wall where she had been prayed for, and Sunshine, the mom, breaks into tears feeling so loved by this little middle schooler and by God, that God would hear a middle schooler's prayers and and lead her and her boyfriend there to faith. 
Prayer moves things in the spiritual realm, friends. So pray. Pray for the people around you. And that's also why we're asking you to write down names uh, in the app, names of people you, you think God wants you to give a What's Afterlife book to, so you'll start praying for them. And we'll join you in praying. So you put them, put them in the app, and then you can go out to one of the Connect tables here today, show them the names, and they'll give you that many books, up to 20 books that you can give away. Okay, now why are we doing the names? And again, they're like recovery names, you know? It's like John B. or Susie Q., you know? That's, that's fine. Why are we doing the names? Well, first, it's our little spiritual uh, contract, okay? A little faith contract. Because what we really don't want are thousands of books under your car seat. Know what I'm saying? Right? You take lots of books with a lot of good intention, and then they end up under the, under the seat or on a bookshelf somewhere. And, and so this is you saying, no, I'm thinking about who, and, and you're writing down those names, but then we're going to pray for those names as well. And again, it can just be, you know, name with an initial. God knows people even by their initials, okay? And we're going to pray over them while you're praying for them as well. So give the book, and then follow up with a dialogue, like Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus says, if you would ask, I'd give you living water. She says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? I mean, how can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Well, please, sir, she said, give me this water and I won't be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. All right, what's Jesus doing? Jesus is engaging her in dialogue at her point of need. That's an important thing. He's engaging her in dialogue at her point of need. See, she's there for physical water, but she has a deep spiritual thirst as well. And he's engaging her on what's on her mind. Getting water, yeah, but also getting love. So we see the next principle is Jesus engages in dialogue at her point of need. And if we're going to treat people like Jesus did, that's what we've got to do. We've got to listen to understand people's needs. We're going to talk more about that next week, but we've got to understand what are their points of pain? What's going on in, the, in their life? What are their concerns? And then we dialogue. You know, Pharisees do the opposite. Pharisees just talk at people. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't preach at her. He didn't even tell her what, what needed to change. He listens and cares, and then he prompts spiritual curiosity. He prompts her spiritual curiosity. You can do the same. So like if someone at work is talking about something that has some, you know, spiritual component or tangent, or maybe they're just saying how ridiculous all this what's afterlife stuff is, or there is no God, you know, prompt some spiritual curiosity. Hey, if I could prove to you, like with lots of evidence, that there really is a God, there really is a, a life after death, would you even be open? See, now that, that's intriguing, Right? That's mysterious. It's interesting. Now you sound like Morpheus in the Matrix, right? Do you want to see how deep the rabbit hole goes? Right? So you ask questions. You prompt. I love to say, well, how open are you? 
Are you open-minded? Everybody thinks they're open-minded. It's amazing how many people are open-minded to everything except God. But when you ask the question, they start to go, oh, that's true. You know, fascinating little side, uh, the marketing agency that's working with us to get social media out on this whole conversation. Half of them are millennials who do not believe. And as they were wrestling with this, they realized, wow, I'm actually closed-minded about this. And it started to get them to think and even get people to think. So you're going to see billboards up and, it, and it's going to say, open your mind to the possibilities. They came up with that. So, you know, just prompt questions, dialogue with people. You know, people want to dialogue. I don't know if you, if you realize that. But people really are open uh, to dialogue. I, that changed everything for me. You know, John said, you want to come with me to a Bible study? No. But he asked me a couple more times. And, and those words, like I said, they kept irritating me. Something was going on inside of me. And finally I said to him, I have lots of doubts and questions. He said, that's okay. Bring them. They're like, oh. <laughs> and I did. And it was in dialogue. It was a place where I could wrestle through. They didn't even have to answer every question. I started to discover answers for myself. And that's what helped my skeptical engineering mind come to realize this is real. This is true. I mean, that's why here at Gateway we say doubters welcome, right? It's why we have community groups where people can wrestle through things. It's why we have alpha groups, right, where, we, where you can process your doubts. You know, it's interesting, too. A research group did a study of the spiritual climate of Austin and, and asked the question, if someone you knew wanted to talk about spiritual beliefs with you, would you be open to that? 60% of the Austin metro area said, yeah, if someone I knew wanted to talk about spiritual things, I'd be open to that. Think about that. That's 700,000 people all around you, one dialogue away from exploring faith. People are way more open than you think. There are many more like this Samaritan woman who really just need to be valued and dignified in a dialogue. They're spiritually open. They're spiritually thirsty. So Jesus engages her at her point of need, physical thirst. But she's really thirsty to be loved and yet trying to get it met in broken ways like we all do. So when she says, give me this life-giving water, he says, go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, a time is coming when it won't matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he. Jesus was not shocked or dismayed that she'd been 
married and divorced five times and had given up on her thirst for permanent love and now is just living with the guy. He knew all this. And notice, he doesn't force her to try to change her or, or even get her to obey. He works with her willingness. He works to try to reconnect her to the source of life and love. This is a very important principle because Jesus understands something we have to understand too. That unless people have the spiritually satisfying water that flows from the Spirit of God, you know, giving life to our soul, just trying harder to change ourselves just spiritually dehydrates us. It doesn't work. And so Jesus reconnects her to the very source of life and love. That's what your words can do as well. God can use them to be more than words. All right, so Jesus' disciples come back from lunch. They bring him a sack lunch. She runs out so excited to go tell all her friends. See, because she didn't feel condemned, even in Jesus revealing everything, seen right through her. Instead, she feels hope. She feels love. She feels valued. And she goes and she says to all her friends, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. They already know everything she already did, right? It was the talk of the town. Could this be the Messiah? And look what it says. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I did. More than words. She knew very little, very little, right? But she knew enough to initiate a conversation with those she knew Uh, about what God had done in her life, and God used it. Don't ever think you don't know enough. (laughs) It's not about you. It's not even about your words. It's about the God who loves all people so much. He will use your fumbling words, and he'll use your little bit of willingness called faith to change the trajectory of life. All we have to do is be willing to respond to his spirit. When he gives those little prompts, hey, give him a book. Give her a book. Hey, ask this question. A little prompt in in your mind. You know, uh, listen deeply with empathy to their story. Or give John Burke an invitation to that small group Bible study. Can change a life more than words. Let me say one thing uh, to those of us here who consider ourselves mature in faith. You know, sometimes when we're mature in faith, there's this talk that goes around like, you know, you've got you've to get mature spiritual food. You've probably heard that. I'm going to show you mature spiritual food. Jesus says it right here. So the disciples come back and they say, Jesus, here, we got food for you. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing of. Jesus explained, my nourishment, okay, this would be mature spiritual food comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and a harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for the harvest. Look at all these Samaritans who are responding to God. The fields are ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. The fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. And what joy awaits both the planter and harvester alike. See, mature spiritual food is not hearing another sermon. And sermons can be great, right? But mature food comes from joining God in what he's doing all around you. 
There are people all around you, just like these Samaritans. God loves them. He cares about them. And he wants you to be a partner with him in showing them how much he cares. And that's where you grow mature. That's where you get mature spiritual fruit from. Planting seeds with your words. And sometimes those seeds reap a harvest. It's the pivot point in someone's life. Your words. And sometimes they just get planted and it takes years for those words to produce fruit. But you're partnering with God who's at work. And one day you're going to experience the joy of how God used you. Your little bit of faith and the words you spoke to change human lives. You know, Barb had been praying for her cousin for years. Her cousin, uh, Debbie, didn't think God existed, was totally closed to most everything she was saying. And January 5th, when Barb got the What's After Life book, she gave it to Debbie. Here's what Debbie wrote back. I think she said, my pastor wrote this book. Tell me what you think. Here's what Debbie wrote back. Tell your pastor the book is amazing. I'm halfway through it. It's short, but... More importantly, it really did grab me. The case for Christ opened my mind. This may sent it. And then she asked, would it be okay if I took this book and we did it with my book club? No, that wouldn't be all right. (laughs) Of course, right? Now think about just, just your words, just your simple words, how God can use it to change your life. You know, all... All of us, so many of us, we think, God, what's my purpose in life? I want, I want to know my purpose, right? And it's all different for all of us, but in part, Jesus has already told us, love God and love the people around you. And how can you love someone more than to introduce them to the very source of all love? I want you to listen to one more of, of these 25 videos that are going to be going out on social media that you can share as well. Uh, Rand Kay is the CEO who um, I sat down with and, and interviewed, and what he told me, I said, oh, that's money. Because Jesus talked to him about how we live out the purpose that we're here for. Watch. Lying in bed one night, I had some pain in my calf. The next morning, I went in to see the physician and immediately ended up in the emergency room. The ultrasound showed five blood clots. Some of them were occluding my pulmonary artery. And once there's full occlusion of the pulmonary artery, in a matter of seconds, the person can die. The physician came in to extract some blood for a blood sample. My body started convulsing. And so it was at that point where I, uh, things went dark. I could faintly see my body as I was rising. I was literally rising. And at that point, there was peace. But there was a darkness in the midst of where I was that was illuminated by a light that was ushered from above. And it was cascading down. And as I was rising, I I cried out the name of Jesus Christ. The next moment, everything was illuminated. I felt his face and his arm was around me. And the first thing I remember saying is, this is love. And he continued to walk with me. And he said, I'm going to send you back. I'm going to return you. And your purpose will be revealed one moment at a time. Because if I were to reveal your purpose in full, you would not be dependent upon me. You would be dependent upon yourself. 
I wanted so much to stay, but I heard this beautiful music, and then I woke up.